I look up on the hill and I go, she's just right there. Yeah. Yeah. But things are, things are well. Yeah, I'm good. I'm really good. I mean, there's been lots of shifting and changing and evolving going on, I think for the whole planet and yes. for us as individuals, but it's, and it's been a ride, but things are beautiful within that container. So, yeah. Absolutely. So why don't I introduce you and hand the controls over and you can, you can uh, take it from there. Great. So, so proud to uh, introduce you to Keela. If you haven't met her, you have to meet her. She's fantastic. She has Serene Spirit Healing and Retreat Center. Keela Oz is a, sh a shamanic energy practitioner, meditation teacher, and owner of, as I mentioned, Serene uh, Spirit Healing and Retreat Center, which is beautiful. Keela specializes in helping people process trauma experiences and and thus break through limiting blocks, shifting them towards on purpose, fulfilling and meaningful lives. Keila is passionate about mindfulness and mind management as an uh, avenue for awareness, deeper understanding of oneself and personal transformation. Keila resides in West Kelowna with her husband, her small zoo and ridiculously large collection of plants which is just like so Keela that's just <laughs> um and Keela is giving away two 45 minute spiritual coaching sessions which is very generous that's fantastic I know she helps so many people and I will share her information on the on the live feed here so you can reach out and connect with her because you should because she's awesome so over to you Keela and thank you looking forward to this presentation thanks Shauna Hi, everybody. Um, so I've been thinking a lot about what I wanted to share with you today and uh, tapping in with my spiritual counsel and using meditation as a way to really tune in as to what is needed. And I, I hope that I'm not doubling up on any of the talks or concepts that have been already addressed here in this wonderful platform, BWB and Shana so much gratitude for what you offer our community and it's really an honor to be a part of it. So that being said, I haven't been tracking all the amazing people that have been contributing to this Friday's workshops, but when I was tuning in, you know, there's a lot going on on the planet. We know this, and there's been a lot of things that have been happening to divide us. And I think one of the things that hasn't really been addressed, or maybe it's been addressed and um, I haven't seen it being processed. I recently came off social media just to really ground in and anchor my own beliefs and who I am and what I want to offer my clients and the people I care about. One of the things I decided I needed to talk to or just speak to you about was this collective grief that we are all experiencing. And by collective grief, I don't just mean the loss or bereavement, like the loss of people we love. I'm talking about this collective grief that is flowing like a wave throughout the planet, which is encompassing things such as loss of jobs, um, fear of normalcy, loss of normalcy, loss of community, loss of connection, um, actual literal loss of lives through COVID. Um, for some, loss of sovereignty, feeling as though we've lost our sense of sovereignty and being able to choose for ourselves, the vaccination, this and that, about what is the right decision for us. And amidst this collective grief, I feel like it's really difficult for people to discern what is right for us versus what is right for community. And so I thought that I would talk there's a plethora of ways we could go with this kind of conversation, but I thought that I would talk a little bit on the impact of collective grief, how it's affecting us as individuals, how it's affecting our communities, and then more importantly, what can we do to get back on top of it? What can we do in this time of division, of separation? This, And let me clarify, this illusion of time and this illusion of separation. So... Part of what I am, I just actually want to check. Shauna, are we still on? Because it stopped recording. It's still live, so I think we're okay. But I just wanted to mention that because it popped off on my side. Um, so this, this division that we are experiencing, I wanted to start off by saying it's an illusion. It's real in the sense that it's what we are witnessing, but we don't have to identify with it. And so from that perspective, I do want to talk a little bit about 
the traditional understanding of grief and then how the last two years collectively have been impacting our own ability to be present and discern and process our own variations of grieving depending on what we're going what is going on for us and what is happening in the world for us day to day as we're coping and struggling to survive and thrive in this time of disconnection so um conventionally uh, grief is considered to be the emotional response to loss pretty generic but it also has physical cognitive behavioral social cultural spiritual and philosophical dimensions grief is a really heavy plate and we aren't taught how to grieve we aren't taught how to process our emotions as children well that's not true most of us aren't taught how to process our emotions in healthy ways and how to tend the emotions when they come up mostly we're taught from conditioned responses ancestrally through our own family lines but also socially and in the school system educational systems in the media and now with social media there's all these opinions and amidst all the chaos and all of these opinions it becomes really difficult to discern what is my grief what is collective grief and where do i go in tending it in an environment that is so divisive so traditionally i think her name was elizabeth kubler ross she put together the five main stages of grief and there are um, in my opinion, seven, there's a new one that's kind of come in and another one that sort of sits between the new version of collective grief and the definition of that versus these five that Elizabeth, Elizabeth Kubler-Ross has stated. So the five traditional states of grief are denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So those are the five sort of standardized um, areas of grief and the stages of grief as we grieve. So this, I'll call her Elizabeth. Elizabeth postulates that people going through a significant loss go through all of these stages. And these stages do not necessarily progress in a linear progressive manner, since everyone grieves differently. And I think that this is a really important thing to be cognizant of because some people will start in a certain phase, perhaps it's depression, and never really escape that as they're trying to process these other areas of denial and anger and acceptance. Sometimes, actually, depending on how your trauma response is, how your nervous system has responded to your past experience, people will start with acceptance. It's almost a mode of spiritually bypassing where they come to this term of acceptance and then they go through these other stages of anger denial, depression, bargaining, and it can spiral out of control. If we're healthy emotionally to begin with, sometimes we can start with acceptance, not always, but occasionally. So keeping in mind that the order in which we progress through these stages of grief is really individual. It's really dependent on our histories, it's dependent on our conditioning, and it's dependent on our emotional ability to process, A, based on the tools we may have been granted as we've evolved, and be based on the climate and the culture of our environment and our communities. A strong community really gives us opportunity to process grief in a different way. A divided community, which is what we're dealing with now between vax, non-vax, fear, no fear, all of this division destabilizes our community so that the grieving process can be a disaster. And if we don't have the support systems from our community, then we are left on our own. And this can begin to create a lot of other problems. So some examples with the current context. So for instance, let's just say we start in the progressively linear state, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So let's just say, for instance, with the um, situation with COVID and none of these beliefs are necessarily mine i'm just using this, them as examples um i'm not pro or anti-vax i believe in personal sovereignty and if you come to my uh healing space and we work together if you're vaccinated or unvaccinated it doesn't matter you're equally deserving of love and healing in in any and all regard when it comes to these kind of things i just wanted to state that out there um so these five stages denial for instance denial this virus won't affect us and anger, you're making me stay home and taking away my activities and my freedom. Bargaining, <laughs> if I social distance for two weeks, everything will be better, right? Sadness or depression, I have no idea when this is going to end. We've all been there. 
And finally, acceptance. If we're talking from a linear perspective, this is happening. Whether we believe it or not, the impact of it is consciously affecting our communities. This is happening. I have to figure out how to proceed. So more recently, I think it was in 2019, there's another psychotherapist and a grief expert named David Kessler. David Kessler came up with the sixth stage after taking permission from the Kubler-Ross family, and it was finding meaning. And this is one of the spiritual foundations of my work, which is, especially when you work with trauma, where you're processing trauma, this is, what in God's name is this hardship for? Where is the meaning and purpose? How can I glean wisdom through my pain? How can I glean understanding and compassion and get to those places through the depths of this discomfort, grief, pain, loss, whatever it is. So that's this finding meaning or the possibility of being able to discover something meaningful in my grief. So while grief linked to bereavement or loss is the most common, the other types of loss can also trigger really deep anguish. So losing a job, there's been a ton of that in all communities across the board social connections. We have been pulled from our social communities and social connections. Um, loss of relationship, not just with friendships in divisive ways of thinking about what's going on around us, but also even within our own families. My heart goes out to people whose families have divided because we can't find common ground. And if that has happened to you, I just want to remind you, as terrible as that is, you're not alone. And there may be some light at the end of the tunnel if we can just understand how to sit in this chaos, like in the eye of the storm, and allow and observe it to go around us and go on around us without becoming a part of it. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later. So um, people, so where is I? Oh, yes. So the thing that I was talking about earlier about the sixth stage in between the five traditional uh, forms of grief and the seventh one, which we're going to talk about is anticipatory grief. So not only are we talking about the five stages, not only are we talking about what is the potential meaning of this grieving process of the experiences that we've had, but this other newly evolving, especially over COVID of this anticipatory grief. This is a whole new level, and this is quite common among all people, most people. It's this conviction that loss lingers close by and will make an appearance soon. It's like waiting for the shoe to drop. It's like, okay, for a while back there, it was, okay, no masks. I don't know if you were like me, but I was like, I kept, I never allowed masks to be normal, and so I would still forget to take one out of my car to go into a store. But there was this period where, the government said no masks and we all celebrated. We all threw the masks away. And then two weeks later, okay, newly implemented masks are back. So it's these things right now, as people are trying to learn, as our medical system, as a government are trying to learn how to conduct normalcy in the wake of chaos, where we've come to sit in a place where what's next? This anticipatory, there have been so much so many circumstances that have created upheaval. When is the next one? And then how do we ungroove that way of realizing that that is our reality? How do we pop out of it so it doesn't have to be our reality? How do we detach from the situations that we're told we have to be in or we cannot be in? You're allowed to be here with a vax. You're not allowed to be there with a the vax. This constant division, how do we remove ourselves from it. So hopefully this talk will allow you to have some tools that may, maybe can be implemented to give you a little bit more solace in how to conduct and remember who you are and find your center within this realm of chaos that we're currently still embedded in. So the grief that many of us feel, it comes in waves. At least for me, it comes in waves. I feel there's these moments of hope and compassion for myself and for others that at times are easier and then it comes in waves and for some period of time perhaps there's despair and that's when the grief starts bubbling up so there's this um, evolutionary oscillating so to speak of these processes of grief that we're all going through so it's not one particular loss 
and I mentioned a couple of those community, our environments, our social connections, sometimes our family, jobs, actual loss of life. Every time we log into social media accounts, we see these images of people suffering, stories of people struggling to find oxygen or beds or what's going on at Edmonton right now, there's not enough beds. We're back in these crisis fields. So there's posts of friendships being pulled apart, friends losing loved ones, or often also, especially with the recent election, there's this overall failure of leadership. And the only place to go when this starts to happen is back into yourself. It is the only place you can find solace. Everything that is breaking down around us doesn't have to break down within us. But then we have to actively know, well, how do you do that? Where do you go and how do you get there? So we're going to talk about that. So these things that we're seeing on social media, these circumstances that are all around us, they act as a trigger. They can cause this downward spiral into this constant mind-numbing grief that it, it just doesn't easily go away anymore. Do you notice sometimes like it's almost always like a palpable undercurrent. And if it's not your personal grief, if you're tending that really beautifully, you may still be intuitive or sensitive enough to recognize that it's still in the collective. So this is also a, a part of tending it is, what is mine and what is this collective grief? They are one and the same. Of course, they are represented and are mirrored in our realities very differently. So what makes all of this worse is as I just said, it's a, it's, a, it's a reality and a truth, but also a necessity. That is because of COVID and social distancing, we are often forced to grieve alone. So I'm not talking about going within as being forced to go within because you don't have any other options. I'm talking about choosing the power of choice to go internally and find your center again because what is externally being exhibited around us is no longer supportive for what our needs are. And the only other option we have is to trust our own process and to begin to take steps on that path. So some of my um, concern is that without this communication with community, without the connection to community, without um, this organic way of being human and processing grief, this morning, of all of this, these things that we have lost and the process of ritual in actually ritualizing, letting go and having the support around us to give us the courage to do so, that's been removed. And so moving on has actually been so much harder. So it's required that we recognize that this is not the norm, that this is temporary. And we're going to talk a little bit later as well about the temporary impact of these emotions and how that affects our day-to-day -day life. Um, but the second thing I wanted to mention as far as this separation from our community and ritual and, and moving on, which has become so much harder, is that people haven't had enough time to process their grief. So what's happening is there's just so much to do. We're ba barely hanging on. Something happens. Some hardship happens. We're still healing from that. Maybe it was impacted from the origin, original time when COVID hit, and you're still reeling from that. But you know what? You've got to get up and take the kids to school and you've got to make lunches and you've got a career to go to and the house has to be cleaned and your son is sick and your dog's at the vet. And there's just all of these things that with healthy support systems are manageable, still difficult, manageable. But when you remove those structures of connection, they become really, really difficult to process. And we are all thrown into this fight or flight survival. So many people who have lost jobs, the community, loved ones, they're just conjuring up the strength not to grieve, to continue in this new unfamiliar way, which is really, really hard on our hearts. So they're conjuring the strength to jump back into the battle, so to speak, trying to find support, trying to find jobs, medicines for themselves or other, others. There's so many calls to action right now, right? They're everywhere. Call to action in this realm, in that realm, um, you know, with the these beautiful indigenous children, the bodies that are being found, call to action. And this collective grief that we so desperately want to engage in, but we haven't tended the individual grief yet. And so it's hard to do that. So this stage of um, 
grief after the well-known denier, anger, bargaining, sadness, and acceptance is the one about finding meaning. And I mentioned it previously. So remembering that these stages are not linear. You can be sad before you're angry or bargain before you deny, um, or even feel sadness at the same time you feel acceptance. That's actually a really common one. And I think a really healthy one. Meaning comes in time. So there's no forcing grief to come and go. It will be there until you let it move through you. And whether or not we are allowing the grief to move through us depends on whether we are present or not with it, and whether we give ourselves permission to feel it, recognize that we are not it, but we are experiencing it. So not everyone feels grief in the same way or the same rate. So there's this also overlying feeling of compassion for one another, which can be hard when we're stressed and at kind of the end of our rope to find compassion, A, for ourselves, which is a struggle to begin with in healthy environments and healthy circumstances, but then to find compassion with the people who look and perceive things differently than us. That can also be really challenging. So meaning is emerging all along the way of this whole entire process. And in the end, we will not be the same, but we will not be completely empty either. New flowers will bloom within your new season. So there's five things that are suggested by David Kessler to manage our personal and collective grief. And after I go through these five things that are suggested by David, I'd also like to give you some tools or tips that I have been using to help me manage the ups and downs of what I've been feeling. And also collectively as a healer, the ups and downs of managing people who need support and help. People have been reaching out to me to help them move through these stages of grief wherever they're at and the ongoing continued stages and often late onset grief. Sometimes people have had so many reserves in the tank, so to speak, through COVID that this continuation now into the end of year two, you know, pretty soon in March, heading into year three, the reserves are gone. And so those people are also now reaching out because they have to refill their cup. They don't know how. And so I've been seeing a lot of people really need support doing that. So these five things that David Kessler is suggesting for us on how to manage or maneuver our way through these both personal and collective grief are number one. He says to promote balance in your thinking. So when you find your mind filled with anxious or dark thoughts, bring joyful or hopeful thoughts to the surface. Both feelings can coexist. Now, while I absolutely agree with that, I do want to preemptively say to carry in this promoting balance in your thinking to remind you that a typical resource for people who don't understand what that means is to bypass the dark negative thoughts to go into the positive light thoughts. And I encourage you not to do that. I also don't encourage you to dive into the darkness if you don't have support. So reaching out to make sure you have support before you do what I'm about to mention is really important. But what I mean about promoting balance and what I take from David Kessler's comment is you are encouraged to visit the darkness. You don't have to stay there, but visit it and just take a little peek inside and say, you know what, today I give myself one minute or five minutes or 10 minutes to cry over a cup of tea and turn towards how I am feeling, tapping in to really gauge where I'm at honestly with myself and acknowledging that I'm not going to be able to resolve that in one sit or one period of thinking about it. But it allows me to put my toe in and then recognizing and honoring, whew, that's a heavy place to be. Okay, that's all right. That's my current experience. Now I'm going to park it. I'm going to park it until the next time I have the bandwidth or the capacity not to park it and to enter it. And while it's parked, I'm going to focus my mind on positive things. So I just wanted to add that to the balancing in your thinking, not to fully bypass the grief or the painful emotions, but to gently and tentatively enter them when you have the capacity. And you know, if you're not sure how to enter and exit, to make sure you have support to do so. The second thing David Kessler says, is to be in the present. And this one I'm a full advocate of, and I'm going to talk a little bit later fully in my words of what that looks like and some tools to actually help you stay in the present when it's really hard to be there because it's so uncomfortable right now. And I so feel you in this regard. Sometimes you just are reflecting on the past and we just can't stop focusing about the future and how great it will be if things go back to normal. So 
be in the present. He says, use your senses to bring you back into the present. And this is a technique that I use as well. What do you smell in this moment? If you're thinking about the past or you're stuck in a moment of grief and it's cyclical as in it's spiraling and you can't get out of the same mental processes, you're kind of stuck, then bring yourself into your environment. What do you see? What are you hearing? Can you smell anything? What, what can you feel? What are you wearing? What's that feel like? Are your hands cold? Just bringing you into being in your body and allowing your awareness to preside over your current circumstances. Do not forget the here and now when you're worrying about your worry about the future threatens to take over. The here and now is where we really live our life. Anywhere else, we're not present. Number three. So let me see. Number one was promote balance in your thinking, dipping your toe in and, you know, moving over to the positive way of thinking when you can, but not bypassing completely the darkness. Number two, be in the present. Use your senses to bring you into your body in the present moment. Number three, he says, let it go. The only thing you can control is you. It's a difficult lesson that we learn repeatedly, but focus on what you can do. And this is really important. What can you do? What can you do? Not what can government do? What can your family do? What can your friends do to support you? What can your therapist and your healer and all those things? What can you do? And the thing that I wanted to clarify with this point as well, when he says the only thing that you can control is you, I would like to even make that more specific too. The only thing that we can control are our reactions to external circumstances because we can't really control ourselves either. Sometimes we take action and we haven't thought it through or there's no sense shaming or those kind of behaviors. That's life and we're gonna make mistakes and that's okay, we can't control that. So it's not about controlling you. It's about recognizing that the only thing we can control is the response to things that have happened to us. And even that at the beginning is really challenging. But with time and commitment, it can happen and it's really liberating. So let it go and this idea of what you can and can't control. Number four, he says, be compassionate. And although this is very true, this can sometimes be difficult. So when someone else is uncharacteristically losing his or her patience or having what's happening like a mini meltdown, show kindness if you can, choose kindness. Kindness is a choice to respond. It's your choice. You have the freedom to choose how you respond. You might feel like being harsh and critical because you are hurting inside as well. And as they say, hurt people hurt people. But I want to remind you that you have the choice to respond differently. And if you can't do it in that moment, that's okay. Maybe in the next moment you get to choose differently and you start to build your resilience and being able to realize and recognize I do have choice. I can choose again and I can choose differently. The fifth thing that David, David suggests is to keep trying, don't give up. So he teaches that emotions need motion and just keep going. You're not alone. Everyone is alongside you in this path. You're not alone. So for those of you who are sort of aligning with this recognition that, oh my gosh, you know, maybe this is grief. Maybe there's old things that you haven't grieved yet. And this external circumstance in your life is what's bringing it up for you. If that's the case, that's okay. But don't underestimate collective grief right now. Don't underestimate its impact. And if you feel you have days that are worse than others, maybe it's not all yours. Maybe on those days, Yes, you've got your own pain and grief that you're tending. Some days it's joy, some days it's grief, it's oscillating. But on the really hard days, I want you to remember that you're probably as a sensitive human being also engaging in the collective grief. And that's an important thing to remember that we're all one and we're all interconnected and it's very difficult to remove yourself. Better than removing myself is learning how to thrive within that collective grief and recognize that there are tools to help us through it. So one of the things that many people are mourning is our lack of normalcy. That's a shared collective experience and we all have a very different identification with that. It's a source of grief for us, but another source of grieving is what we see around us. So we've also 
had a profound loss of connection. I've touched on this a couple times already today. We can't physically embrace anybody. Not in, I mean, we have our bubble um, and that's growing, thank goodness. But the result is that not being able to connect physically with other human beings also leads us collectively to grieve what we've lost. So um, we were talking about this anticipatory grief waiting for something to happen. People have been anticipating that this epidemic or whatever the case is, is going to overwhelm us. Or then there's hope and then it comes back into overwhelm as the numbers skyrocket. It's a ride. <laughs> and so I'm encouraging everyone to just detach a little bit. It doesn't mean to shut down or close down or shut down your heart. It just means to take a breath and to remove yourself and remember that in this moment, which is the present moment, it's all we really have, in this moment, you're safe. And those numbers, and that person, that social media post, and all of those things, if we tune it out, what are we left with? Ourselves, being safe, and getting to choose what we feed our energy to. So I'd like to share with you some tools or techniques that I've been using to help me maneuver through and help my clients maneuver through the collective grief and the experiences that we've been having with COVID. So, and some of them cross over, which is really cool, I think. So David talked about, I think he called it um, being in the present, I think was what I had said earlier. And that's my number one. It's the presence piece. So if I find myself thinking about the future or dwelling on the past, I talk myself through what I'm doing. So instead of using the sensory approach, which is what do I see, feel, hear, smell, even taste, all of those kind of like physical sensory approaches. I also at times will talk myself through things to hold me, pardon me, in the moment. So right now, as I'm doing these things right now, I'm making a cup of tea. And now I am walking to my car. And right now I am brushing my teeth. Now I'm cutting up these peppers for dinner. Now I'm cutting up this meat. Now I'm cooking and I'm walking myself through what's going on. If I feel like I'm spiraling, if my clients feel like I just can't seem to unhook the thought patterns, the fear, I can't seem to step away from it. I use this because you can use it no matter what you're doing. Now I'm typing a report at work. Now I'm linking into my Zoom link. Now, you know, and so you can almost bookend your normal life experiences with this talking through. It's like, it's like uh, being a buddy for yourself in these moments on a continual basis that you have access to all the time, that you can talk yourself through what you're doing currently in the present and allow your mind to just focus and bring you right into the here and now. So if my mind wanders and the talking through is not helping and I seem to be spiraling, then I bring myself back to my breath. So I stop. I completely stop what I'm doing. If I'm cutting peppers for dinner, I stop. If I'm preparing uh, a workshop or I'm writing an email, I stop. If I can't focus, I stop. So if you're in a meeting or in a conversation with someone else and you're feeling distracted or you can't seem to focus, then as soon as you get off that meeting or that that um, whatever connection it is, phone call, then you can implement this, which is actually we can do this right now. So let's do it together. So right now you're watching me for those of you that are watching, hello. And let's say for the last two minutes, you've been like tuning out and you couldn't hear anything that I said. So you wouldn't worry about it. You would just stop and you would close your eyes. So I invite you to do this with me. So let's do it. Sit where you are. down your pen if you have one if you have a computer just push it off to the side so you can perhaps still hear or just push it back a little bit and just close your eyes become aware of the chair that you're sitting in feel how it supports your body beneath and behind you allow yourself to connect to your body so feel in this position your arms your legs your hands your head your belly. Just gently note any tension. As you allow yourself just to breathe, allow your face to soften, allow your eyelids to soften. On the out breath of the next inhalation, exhalation, the out breath 
let the shoulders drop. Become aware of your breath now. Say to yourself as you inhale, breathe in. And as you exhale, breathe out. There are a couple cycles of breath. Breathe in. Breathe out. Become aware specifically of the sensation of the air as it enters and exits your nose. And focus on this as best you can when the mind wanders. Be compassionate with yourself. Gently be aware of the wandering without judgment. Just pull your awareness back to your breath. A couple cycles of breath here. Just give yourself a second or two and come back to awareness. So if you were doing this as a practice in your own home or at your office, or even in the car waiting to pick up the kids, you can just do it right there. And you can just take one minute that took less than two minutes just to center yourself. And you always have the successful to you to bring you into presence. Okay, so some people struggle to stay present because we have been taught to not express our emotions. So when we feel something that impacts us, we immediately distract or reach for our crutches to avoid our feelings. Unless we pop out of the present and we're stuck back in the past or in the future. So when we're taught not to express emotions and to be stoic for others, to be the glue of our relationships and for our families, sometimes even as children, this is unfairly asked of us, the child steps into a parental role. And it sends us this collective message that not only is it unbecoming to express oneself, but it is unsafe. And we are dealing with profound sense of being unsafe in the world right now. The collective message over the last two years has been, this planet is unsafe. Our bodies are unsafe. Other people's bodies are unsafe. To be sick is unsafe. You have cold. What if it's something more? What? Fear, fear, fear. Um, people's opinions about what is safe and unsafe cannot be trusted. We don't know who to turn or who to believe. Social media is unsafe. The land we live on is unsafe, like illnesses around every corner and every environment externally of our home. And also, if you live in the Okanagan from this past summer, you know, even the land and the air is unsafe with our forest fires. There's been a lot collectively that we've been dealing with. Um, sharing space and proximity is unsafe, six feet distance. And breathing is unsafe. Masks. So it doesn't stop. But we don't have to be taken down by it, not anymore. We don't have to be. We are grieving normalcy, the loss of connection, the loss of community, among so many other things. The atmosphere has been to divide and conquer. I am here to tell you that it doesn't have to be this way. What we do have is the freedom to choose to spend our time focusing on whatever we desire, whatever we wish to spend our time focusing on. All we have in this life is choice, mainly, and I mentioned it before, the choice to respond to external circumstances beyond our control. The faster we can adopt this reality, the more gentle that life will become for us. We cannot choose how to respond if we are not present enough to determine what responses are even available to us. So then the question is, how do we sweep away the static to get clear? How do we encourage ourselves to feel safe enough to do this? So step one, to answer that question, remembering that we are not our emotions. We're not our emotions. We are experiencing them, but we are not them. Just like the weather, the storm that rolls in and the clouds in the sky, eventually, the weather changes, the storm passes, the rain stops. Eventually the storm subsides, look, sorry, to reveal a beautiful blue sky again. 
And allowing ourselves to remember this encourages us to stay present and go with the flow. Nothing ever stays the same. Life and her emotions are a constant shift and flow. They come and go. However, we attach to them and we forget in the moments of our pain and stress and anxiety and grief that this too shall pass. So I encourage you to remember in those moments of loneliness, confusion, anger, or sadness, that although it doesn't feel like it at that time, in time they will pass. They are not you. You are a divine being of light that has come here in this body, on this planet at this time, to experience the full gamut of emotions, not just the good, feely, pleasure, joy, um, happiness, love side, but also as a human being to experience sadness and grief and misery, all of these things, anxiety and depression, but it's this labeling of them being good or bad that gets us stuck. We're going to talk about that in a moment. So most importantly, I want you to remember that it is safe to feel these things. We don't think it is in the moment. Our nervous systems, depending on how we're wired and what kind of trauma we've had and we've experienced in our life, having these emotions can trigger past experiences. And so I'm, I'm not saying that you can just jump into this awareness that it's safe, but you can start to adopt the possibility that maybe it is safe. Maybe these emotions I'm feeling, even though they feel overwhelming, maybe they won't take me out and down. Maybe there's a way to maneuver through them. So if we know that they're not permanent and we can start to entertain that, then we can remind ourselves that we are not in danger to feel sadness, grief, and pain. And what happens when we start to give ourselves permission to feel like toe in earlier, like I had said, not bypassing, but allowing us to start to entertain the grief and the sadness and the anxiety, and then moving to more positive things, what happens is that we know eventually that it won't sink us. And we can open our hearts just a little more each time we do it, each time we say yes to our emotions and allow ourselves to feel more of what is holding us back, knowing that it's not gonna take us down. And we may feel overwhelmed, but we can handle it. We can handle the moments of powerful emotion because we are only experiencing them. We are not actually them. And in that awareness becomes that brief detachment I am not this feeling. I am feeling this feeling. So each time we do that, I'm kind of like, huh, pop out. I'm feeling this, but I'm not it. Remember, remember, Keila, you're feeling this anger. You're feeling this grief. I'm experiencing it, but I'm not it. I'm not going to, I'm going to choose to not identify it as being me. I'm just going to start there. Each time you do this, you create in your energetic field, in your heart space, a little bit of space. And eventually, we begin to heal slowly and incrementally. And we shift out of fear into these brief moments of love. And the power of the heart center, 10,000 times greater energetic frequency of the heart than any other part of our body, every time we enhance and focus and encourage this amplification of love out of fear into love, we start to heal and it snowballs. So the first tip, we are not our emotions. We are just experiencing them. The second, reframe. So this is an unlabeling process. And the unlabeling process, I use a lot. It's a transformational tool. So basically, if you wake up in the morning, we always sort of wake up and go, before we even get out of bed, we go, okay, how did I sleep? How do I feel? Oh, I feel great actually today. Oh my God, I have so much energy. I slept amazing. Or we might say, Oh my God, I slept awful. I feel like I haven't slept at all. I can barely get out of bed. Rather than identifying with how you feel, I'm encouraging you to remove the labeling of your current experience, whatever it is you're experiencing as good or bad. Remove it. It's no longer, oh, I feel terrible or I feel great. It's acknowledging how you feel, not bypassing, saying, okay, interesting. Curiously, I'm feeling like I didn't sleep at all. I know that's probably not real, but that's how I'm feeling. Well, that feels emotionally like this. And you just sit in it for a second, but then you remove whether that's good or bad. You just say, okay, 
this is just how I'm feeling right now. This is how in this moment I'm feeling. I'm not attached to it because what happens when we attach, we've had a crap sleep. We get up, we make a cup of tea, we spill it. We stub our toe on the kitchen table. Our kid won't stop crying. He hurts his finger, God forbid, you know, whatever the case is. And we have attached to how we felt and labeled it as bad in the morning. And that attachment manifests in our life other similar experiences. It's like that day that starts bad and just goes to heck. (laughs) And so this is one of the things that's a really powerful transformational piece is, can you look at what happens to you in your life maybe not perfectly, maybe not all at once, but can you begin to play around with this idea of unlabeling what happens to you as good or bad and instead experiencing them as temporary experiences and carrying a curiosity into your life. I just had really, that was an interesting conversation. I had a lot of conflict with that coworker. Normally, previously in the labeling, you would say that was horrible. That person made me feel like this. They were wrong this way. And instead of doing all of that, maybe you do go there eventually. Maybe it's required in reflection. But until then, maybe you look at it and go, okay, that was interesting. That made me feel all of these things. I'm just going to honor those. Okay. Now, rather than saying that was good or bad, then just acknowledging, okay, maybe I can look at this from a perspective of this was just an experience. And if you can open your mind into just an experience rather than good or bad, the meaning, the purpose, and the wisdom of what potentially can come from that experience is more accessible to you. And it's magic. Once we get the hang of it, it's magic. If you need help with something like that, contact me. I can support you in these practices that can allow you to transform and reframe the way you think about things from a spiritual perspective to find deeper meaning and purpose in everything that we go through. So the third tool, and I just have this third one and a couple of quick suggestions, and then we're done for today. The third tool is this re-enabling community connection. So this requires us to de- detach from what normal looked like. So if you are still holding on to how the past looked and the amazing lives that we all had before all of the change with COVID and any other things that have been causing us anxiety and grief, I just encourage you to allow that vision to fall away. When you allow the vision to fall away, you're making space for something different, something new. And so you can recreate community in a new way to strengthen your support system. And I think in the throes of grief, in the throes of anxiety, uh, people have a really hard time asking for help. It's really difficult. And sometimes when we are so attached, and I know this from personal experience to our own pain, we forget that we're just experiencing it. And if we realize that we're just experiencing it, it gives us a bit of space and a little bit of leeway to say, I still can ask for support. You won't want to perhaps, but try. Do your very best to ask for help when you need it. If you're the kind of person that believes that you're stoic and has to survive on your own, this perhaps is an old pattern that the trials and tribulations of the last two years, you can let go of. Maybe now it's time to start to ask for help from people in a new way. Maybe, I hope so, for all of our sakes. I hope we can all do this together and get better at it. So a lot of you may have had friends in the connective sphere um, that have been fallen away, like friends and even family that have fallen away because they still hold differing beliefs. Differing belief systems to you, differing differing belief systems to your family, perhaps. This is likely painful. So it can even make you feel lonelier in trying to process your own pain and grief in our current climate. But I encourage you to try. Go online, find community groups, find women's groups, um, find an online meditation group if you want to learn to meditate and learn to center yourself. Um, Remain open for messages and guidance from the people around you. Start that online course, join a book club or start a book club on your own. Remain open to the possibility that connection can come to you in new ways. Remain open and when you hear the invitation, it may come as a whisper. Say yes to this whisper. You are not your emotions. And if you can remember this and they cannot hold you hostage anymore and keep you from reconnecting to yourself in a deep way. So other couple, just last minute or two, some other suggestions. 
Um, take a break from social media if you haven't already. Pull the plug. Just give yourself one day even. And if that doesn't work, an hour. And if you can do more, do a week or even a month and see how you feel. Spend the time that you may be online coming into yourself and into stillness and see how that serves you in case it may serve you better. Um, go outside. So as the seasons are changing, we don't have a ton of time where it's comfortable in the sun to be outside. So while we are transitioning, fall is the season of, of like nature grieving. It's the death season. It's this season pre-hibernation. And it's really extraordinarily beautiful to allow things to fall away. And we can do that best by connecting to the planet and connecting to nature. So start, if you can, just adding a five-minute walk each day. Or if you are distanced from your work and you don't work at home, maybe you can walk to work a couple days a week. Or call that friend that's in your bubble and say, hey, let's go for coffee and a walk. Whatever it is, get out in nature. And if you can only do five minutes, that is enough. In all of these practices, baby steps. Your commitment does not have to be or feel overwhelming. You do not need more on your plate. You are already enough and doing enough. If you have room for some of these suggestions, beautiful. And if you don't, that's okay. Shelf them. Shelf them until you have time and bandwidth to implement maybe one, maybe two. As mentioned before, ask for help. And... Do your best to open into vulnerability in doing so. Strive to have compassion for people's differences and opposing views. Show up with strong boundaries of your own, but your open heart. Show up with an open heart every day to the best of your ability. Respect your own journey and that of others. Remove the need to be right. Do not be afraid of your pain. I encourage you to allow it to be the teacher it can be for you. Wonderful things can happen when we say yes. And so in that, I would like to pause and invite Shauna back. I think she's just here. I hope we'll just wait until she comes back online. 